Amen. Well, as you're seated, say hi to the neighbor next to you there and say good morning. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. All right. I want you to uh, take a copy of the scriptures, whether you have a paper Bible or on your device, or maybe you're following along on version, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. This morning we have our, our reader is Daisy Garcia. So Daisy, it's all going to be on the screen up here, if you want to just read off the screen. You want to come on up here? Yeah, great. And I'm going to let you use this microphone right here. Good deal. So in case you don't know, David was on the drums. This is a love, lovely wife, Daisy. What's the baby's name? Caleb. Caleb. And they have a new Caleb over here. And then this is Daisy's sister, right? Yes. Evelyn. Okay, great to have her on board. So we're really glad y'all are here this morning. So um, uh, Daisy's going to read our scripture, and you can follow along. Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1. Observe this the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall, shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread and bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. That all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day, there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do not work on it, the Feast of Weeks. You shall count seven weeks, begin to, the, to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put into the standing grain. Then you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God and your son and your daughter and the male servants and your female servants, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statues. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servants and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns. For the seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all of your produce and in all the works of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not per pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. 
for a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not plant any tree as in Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make, and you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. Amen. Good job, Daisy. Give her a hand. All right. Maybe I should just have her come up here and speak this morning. She'd do a great job, I think, right? So, okay, unfortunately, many of you recognize this. What's this called? Good job, Amanda. What is this called? No, no, it's not the Big Mac. It's a quarter pounder with cheese, okay? Now, here's what's interesting. I remember when I was young and the quarter pounder was new and there was a song, okay, um, but no, that's the Big Mac song. Two all beef patty, special sauce, special cheese. What is anyway, but the quarter pounder was new, and uh, and so A and W. Remember A and W restaurants? Okay, they came out with. They thought they'd be smart. They came out with a bigger burger, uh, the one third burger, one third pound burger that costs less. So they're thinking the average American's gonna say, "Wait a minute, I can get a quarter pounder." For let's say two seventy nine, but I can get a third of a pound for two twenty nine. But you know what? The average American didn't know that a quarter of a pound is less than a third of a pound. They saw the number four and they thought four is more than three. And because they couldn't do math, the third pound burger failed. Now, just think: if we don't understand math, we're not going to function well in society. But you know how much more true it is if we don't understand the Word of God? If we don't understand the Word of God, even simple things in the Word of God, <laughs> you know, we're not going to function very well. And I'm thankful that you know, Moses goes into great detail. And sometimes, to be honest, when we read the great detail in the Bible, we're like, okay, okay. And I'm sure even Daisy's like, this is a long chapter. <laughs> you know, it's, we're going through this whole thing here. But we have to um, recognize that the Word of God does give a lot of detail, but it does it on purpose because sometimes we don't know easy things. So in Deuteronomy chapter 16, we're going to see three things, and I'm really going to focus on the first. He actually talks about three feasts of the seven. And the reason he talks about three of them is because they're about to go into the promised land, and he's talking about places. And only three of the seven feasts required travel. Okay, These three feasts required what's commonly called a pilgrimage where you got to pack everything up and go to the tabernacle and, or go to a pointed place to have this happen. The other four you could do anywhere. And so the only reason he's, the reason he's talking about only three of them is because they're about to go into the promised land, and all he's talking about is, you know, and this tribe's going to be there, and this tribe's going to be there, and you'll do this sacrifice here, and you'll do this festival there, and that's why he's focused on that. But I'm going to go through all seven this morning, and that's going to be the core of the message. The other two points I just want to bring up briefly because I'm not really going to go into them. The other ones were social justice. Now, that's a buzzword today, but the Bible talk about, talked about justice in society way before anybody was talking about it. Okay? There was no social justice at the time of Moses. Women were property. People, a lot of people were slaves. You, everybody, Every army, if you were bigger, muddier, more powerful, you would just rape and pillage and take everybody else's stuff. There was no social justice. Social justice was brand new with Moses saying, hey, here's God's laws, and if you obey them, life goes better for you and everybody. The way that people do social justice today is really socialism and communism, and that's not what the Bible talks about. So when I say social justice, don't automatically mark me with the L word and say, oh, he's going liberal and stuff like that. Not talking about that. The reason there's so much push on social justice in America today is because Christians have not done any of it in the past like they should have. If we had been taking care of the poor and taking care of the weak and the feeble, you wouldn't see this push, push to go the other way with it and try to enforce socialism on us. Socialism will not work. It's not in the Bible. People say it is. It's not. And again, it's one of those things like they don't understand the difference between a quarter pound and a third pound. Socialism is not in the Bible, and people try to push in there. People even say Jesus was a socialist. Absolutely not. I, I could prove that another time. And in fact, there's several sermons in the past you can find that in. But uh, and then the third thing was, was, was stopping idolatry. 
And he reminded them, that, hey, don't set up these same altars that they did. And we've covered that in weeks past. So the three things right there, I'm going to spend most of the time, in fact, all the time, on the first one, and that is the seven feasts. And this is amazing. I hope you uh, drank your coffee this morning or ate a good breakfast and your brain's on and you got the, the, the flip, flip the switch on and you're ready to think because it's going to get a little bit deep. And I, I wish I could go into more detail than I am, but we're going to kind of do the 30,000-foot view here this morning. So here's the seven feasts. And again, I've left a handout on the table, on, on the chairs, and you can follow along, and you can see them right there, okay? So we're going to go through each of them. Right there you see that they were spread out, and um, there's the Passover comes first, and the first month, according to the Jews, was not the same as our first month. Their first month was in the springtime, okay? And so it, the year started with springtime, which doesn't that make sense? Where, where does our year start? In the middle of winter. Doesn't make any sense. Their years start when new life began to sprout, a new year began, which makes perfect sense. So the first, you'll see several holidays clumped together in the beginning, and then the summer, no, no festivals, and then the fall when they had the harvest, a bunch of festivals again, and then they took the winter off. And the cycle of life was, was actually very desirous. Um, and so um, the three that he mentions in this chapter are the three that require a pilgrimage, Passover, unleavened bread, and Pentecost. Okay, so let's talk about these. Um, first of all, there's, there's three aspects about the feast that, that we can learn from. The first one is, for them, these happen in natural cycles. They were around the harvest. They were around planting. They were around different times of year. There was a lot of, that had to do with the, the society they were in that, that very naturally went along with it. Planting the seed in the springtime and all that harvest. So festivals here, festivals there. Not much happening in the summer. Not much able to happen in the wintertime. And so it was a lot around the nature and the natural seasons. But the other thing that we saw here was that there was a spiritual significance to these things. And we'll talk about the application about that. But basically, what you saw in the, what the festivals and the feasts represent is a lot of spiritual symbols for you and I. It represents our salvation, being born again in Jesus Christ, but also represents our growth problem, process, becoming more and more like Christ. And the third thing is, if you look at the big picture, there's a prophetic God lays out history through these feasts and shows how Christ fulfills them. And not only tells us what's happened in the past with Jesus, but it actually tells you a lot about the future. So we're going to get into a little bit of prophecy this morning. So the first fest festival or feast we're going to talk about is the Passover. The Passover. How many of you have Jewish friends that, that you've celebrated the Passover? Anybody? Okay. If you ever get a chance to go to a Jewish home and get invited to... Uh, to celebrate the Passover with them. I would do that. It's, it's a really cool thing to do. In fact, we've done it before. Um, golly, it's been a long time. Some of you were teenagers at Lighthouse, and we did, a, we did a Passover Seder in class one Sunday morning. We did the shank bone. We did the unleavened bread. We did the, all the different elements of it. Really good. We, made it, we may need to do one here at Revolution Church sometime. But basically, if you remember this, um, this was the 10th plague. There had been nine plagues, and Pharaoh is being all bipolar and stuff going, okay, you can go. No, you can't go. No, I'll let you go. No, I won't let you go. And he's back and forth and back and forth. And the neat thing about the 10 plagues is each one of them was an attack on an Egyptian god. You know, they worshiped frogs. And Moses was like, okay, you want frogs? Here's like 40 million of them. Oh, you worship the sun? I'm going to make the sun just go out. You can't be able to see your hand in front of your face. You know, you, you worship the, the river Nile? Oh, okay, I'm going to fill it full of blood. I mean, he just smacked every one of their gods in the face, showing that their gods aren't even anything for real. Jehovah is the only true God. And so the 10th plague was, and this was the serious one, is God said, I'm going to pass through the, the, the land this night, and I'm going to smite or kill every firstborn of everything, human being, cattle, whatever. But if you will take a lamb, and you will sacrifice it, and you'll put its blood on your door, I will... Uh, I'll pass over you. And what's, what's interesting about that is that was for everybody. Egyptians could have put blood on their door if they wanted to. Now, we don't know if any did. It's possible. We'll find out when we get to heaven. It's also very possible that some Jews said, ah, oh, we don't need to do that. Why would I want to sacrifice my best lamb? God's going to take care of us because I'm an, I'm an Israelite. And they went to bed and woke up with a, a dead, you know, firstborn son. And so it applied to everybody. And so they, they sacrificed the lamb 
And then they roasted it and then they ate it. And God said, eat all of it. You know, if it's, if it's too much, invite some neighbors over to help you eat it. And if you, if you have a very small family, invite somebody over. Or if you have too much, cook another one, whatever you got to do. But the, the sacrificial lamb, its blood represented washing away the sins of people, of what that Christ would do for us. And then also he said, I want you to make unleavened bread. And I want you to do it for a few reasons. One, you don't have time. <laughs> you don't have time to put the yeast in and watch it rise. So don't put any yeast in it. Just bake the bread and have it with the meal because you do not have time for anything else. But also is a picture of the body of Christ because leaven in the Bible is a type of sin. And Christ's body had no sin in it whatsoever. So they took the blood, they ate the bread, they took the blood, and where did they put it? On the door. It's the sign outside that the wind's really ripping it and banging it against the building. So just think of it as, as somebody back there saying amen, okay? Anyway, uh, it's interesting that you put the blood around the doorpost. You didn't put it on the ground in front of the door because we wouldn't trample on the blood of Christ, right? And it's up there above. It's not on the door handle where you got to open the door, okay? It's all you got to do is pass through under the blood and you're covered. It's a beautiful picture of salvation is a free gift of God. You don't trample on it. You don't have to work for it. You just simply go through the door. And Jesus said what? I am the door. Anybody who wants to see eternal life has to go through me. And so it's a picture of that, of Jesus Christ in that regard right there. Um, and of course, then what happened? And this picture, hopefully you can see it. Um, Pharaoh's firstborn son died, which here's why that was so major significant. Pharaoh was a god. And his firstborn son was a god. And they ruled the people as gods. And so, yes, this was an attack yet on another god but on Pharaoh's family directly. And you just imagine being in a country where you wake up and there are, who knows how many, 25,000 kids dead overnight. God was, God was taking it serious. And, and all of this could have been avoided. You say, oh, why is God so cruel? Why are people so stubborn? All Pharaoh to say was, yeah, you can go. Slavery's wrong. We shouldn't be doing this anyway. And if you'd let them go, there wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened. But sin has consequences. Um, so Jesus is the spotless lamb, amen? In fact, John the Baptist, he's the forerunner of the Messiah, and he's baptizing people saying, hey, the kingdom of God's coming. It's coming. You need to repent and get ready. And in the middle of baptizing people, he like lets this person go and says, look. I'm just kidding. He, he brought him up. <laughs> Behold, what? The lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is that spotless lamb. Jesus never sinned. Number two, the bread is his sinless body. You, you've held, many of you, if not all of you, have held in your hand a piece, of ma- a piece of matzo bread. And there's three really significant things about it. Number one, it's flat because it has no yeast, which is a type of sin, and therefore Jesus' body has no sin. But if you hold it up, you'll see there's holes in it, right? They purposely pierce it. And what does Isaiah 53 say? He was pierced for our transgressions. And then if you, they also will lay it down like on a grill and make brown stripes on it. By his stripes, we are healed. All over the world, millions of Jews hold this piece of bread in their hand and have no idea what it means. And they read 53 and how they don't know that's about Jesus. And, and because God says they are partially blinded until the latter days. And we're living in the latter days. And if you're paying any attention at all, Thousands of Jews are coming to Christ now. They are like, wow, he was the Messiah. We've missed it. And, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And pray specifically, not just for the peace politically, but pray for that the, the Prince of Peace would come into their lives and they would see their Messiah. So this was a tragedy there that, that so many people died, but the bread represented the, the broken body of Christ. That's why Jesus said at the last Passover, which was the first Lord's Supper, this is my body, which is broken for you. Number three, the blood on the door. Again, it's not on the floor. It's not something to be trampled. And you know, whenever we say, well, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. You're trampling on the blood of Christ. You need to realize I'm saved to be set free from sin, not to be free to do whatever I please. Uh, And then it represents deliverance for all who would believe apart from their works. And again, I really believe, and we'll find out when we get to heaven, that there could have been Egyptians who said, you know what, after nine plagues, I think I'm ready to put some blood on the door. And maybe they walked out with them. We don't know. There's no record of that 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 happened. Um, So the Passover is super significant. The next thing, the next feast we see is the feast of unleavened bread, which these were kind of tied together. 
You know how like at Christmas time, we have Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then the break after that, New Year's Eve. It's like all one like week of holiday. And, and uh, this is kind of what it was. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the five days connected right to the Passover. And we already talked about what the bread represents. But he says, you shall go, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with the unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, the bread of affliction. The bread was to remind them, because you've eaten matzah bread, it doesn't taste great. It's not very good. It was to remind them of how painful life was back in Egypt. And it was the bread of affliction. In fact, it's symbolic also of Jesus. But we'll talk about that in a second. It says, for you shall come out of the land of Egypt in haste. You're in a hurry that all the days of your life you, uh, you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Now, think about that. You, let's say you were a slave in Egypt, okay? How brutal life would be, okay? Every day you got to make bricks, and when Pharaoh's in a bad mood, you got to make bricks without straw, which is like almost impossible. And so, and they're whipping you, they're beating you, you get no days off, you probably die young, they just, you can imagine slavery, okay? It was brutal. And then this guy Moses comes along, and he, he does all these plagues with God's help in the rod. And you see all these miracles, one after another, happen. And then you see the 10th plague. And you wake up, your little boy is alive, while all these Egyptian people, their, their little boy is dead. And then you all walk out, and the Red Sea parts, and you walk across. So, I mean, we're talking miracle after miracle, not just small. In fact, the, the deliverance out of Egypt is probably the more, most condensed section of Scripture full of miracles than any other else in the Bible including the Gospels. It's just one, and these are major, major miracles, okay? So Moses is doing a lot of great things. He's the forerunner of Christ, setting that example. But imagine come through all that, and then you go into the promised land, and how could you ever forget all that happened? How could you not be able to wake up every day and go, I'm free, I have my own food, I got my own house. I didn't even build this house. We just walked in, we marched around Jericho, we did all these things, God defeated all these enemies, and I'm living in this house, and I'm free, I'm not a slave. In fact, I have now enough money to pay people to work for me. And you would forget what all that happened and act like, oh, who's God? Hey, I think I'm going to worship Baal. Man, and before we think Israelites are just so stupid, Americans do the same thing. All of us have been in a point in life where we stray away from God and forget that we were once lost and didn't know Christ and we were on our way to hell and he saved us and he gave us everything. How can we forget? But, that, but that's what people do. We, we forget. Um, let's go to this one here. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely the, he, the Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The bread was the, the feast of unleavened bread was remembering the bread of affliction when you were in Egypt, and Jesus was the bread of life, and he was afflicted for us and for our sin. So here's what the feast of unleavened bread teaches us. First of all, this is where spring cleaning came from. Do you know that? So Jews, every year, they would not only not put bread and their leaven in their bread, they'd sweep their whole house out clean. They'd take all the furniture outside and they'd sweep so that there was no leaven and no any type of bacteria of anything at all in the house. And they'd clean their house. And the Gentiles were like, hey, that's a good idea. We ought to clean our house out too. And that's where spring cleaning came from. Um, but Passover was a sign of death. And so the Passover was that the firstborn died, and Jesus is the firstborn of the Father, the only begotten Son who died in our place. And therefore, the, the unleavened bread was a picture of the burial, that all of our sins are gone and, and put in the ground. And it's a reminder of our salvation, and it's a motivation to purge out the sinner life. As the Jews were sweeping out their house, they're thinking, you know what? I should be sweeping out my spiritual house. I should be wiping out all the sin and clean all the sin in my house to be getting ready for the Lord because now that I'm saved. See, when you get saved, that's a Passover. But now that you're saved, what should you be doing? Well, I guess now that I'm a Christian, I need to stop clubbing. And now that I'm a Christian, you know, you and me should probably not live in the same apartment now. And now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to drop the weed. And now that I'm a Christian, I ought to stop cussing. And you just start sweeping out your house. And that's a good thing. It's called sanctification. And it's a motivation to purge out sin. Now notice this. God brought them out of Egypt and then he gave them Ten Commandments. He didn't say, hey, here's 10 commandments. If you keep them, I'll let you out of Egypt. Were they saved by keeping the commandments? No. 
They were saved to keep the commandments. And so, but you know what? That most so-called Christian religions around the world say, if you do this, this, and this, you get to go to heaven. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to buy you and give you a ticket to heaven. His name is Jesus. Now go keep my commandments because you love me. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you, want to, if you don't want to go to hell, keep my commandments. He saves you first and brings you out of Egypt. Then he gives you the commandments and says, now go live in the, and follow these. Um, so 1 Corinthians 5, 7, talking about this Feast of Unleavened Bread, says, cleanse out the old leaven. Just like they were sweeping out their house, you need to sweep out your life. Get that old stuff out that you may be a new lump. You know, the, the body of Christ is pictured like a loaf of bread. We don't want any leaven in the lump, okay? And as you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So he's saying spiritually, that your sacrificial lamb was Jesus. Now you clean out those old things out of your life. And, that, and you know, you say, well, Gary, how long does that take? The rest of your life. Okay, I got saved when I was nine. I'm 57. You can do the math. I'm still sweeping it out. But guess what? There's progress. I mean, it's not like, and let me tell you, in fact, if there's not progress, you might want to say, huh, was I ever really saved? You know, we have ups and downs. Like Nathan was praying earlier. I could, I'm like, I could relate with you. You have bad weeks. You're like, man, am I even saved? I, I'm not acting like, I'm acting like an idiot. You know, and then God spanks you and gets you back in place and, and says, hey, I love you, I forgive you, let's get back on track. You know, we may have ups and downs, but the overall, overall progression, trajectory of our life is that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. There needs to be progress as evidence. Jesus said, you know, bring forth fruit that's evidence to salvation. Actually, that was John the Baptist that said that. So then the next festival is the, is the festival of first fruits. First fruits. In other words, it, it was first in, in quantity and quality, but I'll talk to you about more in a second. So we, what we were doing here, what Israel was doing was giving the God the first of the harvest. It not only was the first things you picked, but it was the best things you picked. So if you had a, let's say, a cornfield, you wouldn't just say, well, I'm going to just harvest here and just start right here, and I'm going to give the first 10% to God. No, no. You went through and found the best 10% and gave that to God. It's first chronologically and first in quality. God doesn't deserve leftovers. We talked about giving a little bit last week. And you know what? I've been uh, in ministry since I was 22, and I've seen people give all kinds of stuff to the church. I've, people, I've seen people give all kinds of junk to the church. I remember one time I was at Berean, and uh, this lady calls up, and she says, hey, do you think the church could use an organ? I'm like, maybe. I think, well, we have a pretty nice one right now. Well, I got this organ in my house, but there's a few keys that doesn't, don't work, and one of the pedals is broken. But I thought maybe the church could use it. And I'm like, I'm just trying to be nice. I didn't say what I really thought. But you know what's sad? How many people want to give God what's left instead of what's right? God deserves our first fruits, right? And so this is an amazing picture of the harvest. You see, you remember the harvest is the field, okay? So let's just picture this is like a wheat harvest, okay? You go in and you pick out the first 10%, the first fruits, the best, and you give it to God, which was an act of faith because a farmer would say, man, if this is my best, if I plant that, that means next year's crop's going to be even better. As God says, yeah, but you can lean on your understanding or you can trust me to bless the, the 90%. So you do that, and then, you, then you'd had the general harvest where you, you hooked up the oxen and you went around and you, you'd gather it all. Um, if you had a machinery to kind of bring it up or you did it all by hand and you got all of it, okay? And then there was what's called the gleanings. You might remember from Ruth and Boaz, and uh, how that happened, because there was a law to take care of the poor that as you were gathering stuff, and you're like, maybe you're putting it in the bag over your shoulder, if you missed and some went behind you, you were forbidden to turn around and pick it up. You just let it go. And as you had your oxen, and you're kind of gathering with the machine, and you turn the corner, on the corner there, there'd be like some left, leave it alone. You left all the corners, you left everything that was dropped, for the widows and the orphans and the poor, so they can come up and they come up behind you and gather it, gather it. So this was the welfare that Israel had in place. And it was great because it was really workfare. It was because if you want it, there it is, go get it. It wasn't like, we're going to bring it to your house and you'll get a check in the mail. It was like, you still have to work because the New Testament says, Paul said to Timothy, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. So, and it was really honoring to the poor because they want to work too. And they could do what they needed to do. And so then you had, so that was the first fruits. And then um, 
1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. You see, Jesus Christ, of all the people that were dead, God went in and got the best and brought him back. Jesus Christ. And so he's the first fruits. And then there'll be a harvest later, the general harvest, where all of us who know Christ as Savior will be, will be resurrected. And so there's the first fruits, there's the general, there's a the gleaning. But then after you bring it all in, what, is, what's the, what are the angels supposed to do? Remember, Jesus gave a story about a guy had a field. And at night, his enemy came in and sowed seed of weeds, tares amongst his, his thing. And they started to spring up. And someone with a careful eye could look at it and say, wait a minute, that's two different things there. So they go run into the master and they say, hey, somebody's come and planted this, trying to, you know, done vandalize basically, I guess it's an old form of agricultural terrorism back then. And they go back and says, somebody's planted this in your field. What do we do? How, you want to pull it up? He said, no, don't, don't pull it up because if you start pulling it all up, you're going to pull up the root system of the good stuff. Just let it be. And at the harvest, we'll separate it. And Jesus said this was a picture of Christianity, that there's a lot of fakes growing up amongst the real thing. And God doesn't weed them out now. He will, at the judgment, separate it, the wheat from the tares. And what happens? The tares are gathered and cast into the fire and burned. Jesus talks about hell a lot. And And we don't maybe feel comfortable with that, and maybe we don't like that, but that's the truth. But the parable teaches us that don't be surprised that there are so many fakes amongst Christians. All you have to do is turn on any channel on television on one of these so-called Christian networks and 90% of them are like, send me your money and God's going to bless you with a million dollars or God's going to heal you. And there are just so many frauds out there. I'm not saying all of them are bad, but there's some that are good, but there's most of them are fraud. And that that could be true in church. I I think what's going to be the saddest days for me as a pastor is, because I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible says in two different places in the New Testament that I'm going to be judged based on what you do. That I'm the shepherd and you're the flock, and someday I'm going to be held accountable for what my flock does. And that's going to be scary. But you know what's going to be interesting is, and and more than interesting, it's going to be sad, is I'm going to be like, I thought for sure he was a believer. Oh my gosh. This whole time, he's been serving side by side, or she's been giving to the church, and they weren't even real all along time. And so that's going to be a sad day for all of us, not just for, for pastors. But so there's the tares. So all these things are a picture of the way the resurrection is going to go. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was the first fruits. Someday Jesus is coming and with his mighty angels will do the harvest and harvest all believers. The gleanings are those who are left behind. See, the tribulation, it says there's going to be people who get saved during the tribulation. So Jesus raptures his church. We all go to heaven, okay? And we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And while we're celebrating in heaven, Jews will wake up and realize, oh my gosh, he was the Messiah. Because if you read Revelation, there's two evangelists that go around the planet preaching the gospel and doing miracles. And thousands and thousands of Jews, in fact, 144,000 evangelists and millions of other Jews will get saved as well as many other Gentiles. And then what do they, have to, what do, they do to be saved? They trust in Christ, but the Bible says they, lo- they lose their heads because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. And all this is like scary, but you see it coming. I mean, we see our world getting ready for all this. And then at the judgment, the, the wheat is separated from the tares. So beautiful picture uh, in the harvest there. So then there's the Pentecost. In our passage we read, it's called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. How many days are in a week? Seven. The Feast of Weeks was seven times seven. That's 49 so on the 50th day, you had this festival. After seven weeks of seven, and seven's pretty important in the Bible, right? Uh, on the 50th day, that's what Pentecost means. Penta, five, Pentecost, I don't remember what cost me, but it's a Latin word for the 50th day. Maybe that's what cost me, I don't know. But anyway, the Pentecost was the 50th day after, you, you did, after uh, Passover. Fat, Passover 50 days later. Um, so here it says, you shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put in to the standing of the grain. So you see the harvest connection there. And it says, and then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of the free will offering. This was an offering that in addition to your tithes, it's just whatever you feel like giving, whatever you feel like God's leading you to give, you choose to give something of your harvest to God. 
and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You know, when you see the word rejoice there, it means you shall have a party. Okay, you're going to gather the wine, the food, you're going to kill the animals, you're going to have a barbecue, you're going to invite, who do you invite? Remember we learned last week, you invite the widows nearby, orphans, and you invite the Levite, invite the local pastor. That's very biblical to have the pastor over for barbecue, okay? You invite all these people over and you party before the Lord. And you have a great time, you rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons, your daughters, your, and you invite, guess what? You invite all your servants. No other culture was doing this. Every other culture was saying, hey, here's some grub. Go sit in the corner and eat. And then they walked into their house and they ate like pigs. The Jews were taught, hey, I know you're from Canaan, but come on in and have dinner with us. This is what our God taught us to do. You can celebrate this with us. Can you imagine being a Canaanite and walking in and going, really? We can come here? We'll sit over here. No, no, come sit at the table with me. The compassion that was taught here is just off the charts. And, and like I said, people will criticize the Bible and say it condones slavery. No, it absolutely didn't. It condones servitude and bond servants who could work off debts and things like that. Now, it wasn't always done right, but if they did it the way God taught them to do, it was absolutely done right. So you invite all these people to this feast at Pentecost, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. So this is, fast forward to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, 50 days after Jesus, our Passover, was crucified and risen again, that Jesus says, hey, go wait for me in the upper room, and I'm going to come. Fifty days later, on the day, just like while everybody's celebrating Pentecost, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the believers, 120 of them, were all gathered in one place, and then suddenly, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were, uh, where they were sitting. You know what this is a picture of? Go back to the tabernacle. When they built the tabernacle, a mighty rushing wind came in and the glory of God filled the place. This was the new tabernacle. But guess what? It wasn't the building they were in. It was them. It was the 120 where the new church and they were the tabernacle. They were the temple. And the Holy Spirit of God came in and filled that place at, just like he had filled the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. And, and then watch this. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So above the head, you see like a cloven tongue, but it's on fire. Now, I don't understand all the symbols of that, but think back to the Tower of Babel. They're like, we don't need God. We're going to build a tower to heaven on our own. We're going to make it to heaven and we'll be up there like God. And what did God do? He confounded the languages and made them speak several different languages. But here God does the languages and says, now I'm going to bring you all back together under the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a beautiful picture. And uh, then it, go it goes on to say this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages. In fact, Acts chapter 2 lists the nine different languages they spoke. And so they're all speaking that, and the Spirit gave them utterance. So here are these Hebrews who maybe knew Aramaic, some Greek, and some Hebrew, all now are all speaking uh, uh, different languages of the area because they, people from all over the world came for Pentecost, and so they're able to preach the gospel in different languages, and everybody's hearing that, which was in their own language. It's a fascinating passage. Go, go back this afternoon and read um, the chapter there, uh, Acts chapter 2. So look at your um, piece of paper there, or if you're watching online, you can see on the chart right here. So we have four feasts that were all completed when Jesus came. And remember, most of the feasts were in the springtime, and then the summer, nothing happened. That's where we're living right now. We're living in the summertime. Jesus isn't doing anything here in person. This is what's called in dispensationalism the church age. This is where we are, we are planting seeds for the harvest. The harvest is not happening yet. So we're working the field, working the field. We're watering. We're sowing seed for the harvest is to come. And then all these other ones will happen when Jesus returns. So if you don't have the piece of paper, right? see if you I say, take the piece of paper, cut three of these and see if anybody else needs one. Raise your hand if you need a piece of paper right there because it's kind of small. Um, so you see all these things happening here. So let, the next festival, so Jesus fulfilled all of them, right? Jesus fulfilled the Passover. That's why we don't celebrate Passover anymore. Jesus fulfilled unleavened, unleavened bread. All, right? Jesus fulfilled Pentecost. He fulfilled all those ones already. And then the next one that is to come is the Feast of Trumpets, which the Jews would call Rosh Hashanah the Feast of Trumpets. So there was a festival in the fall when they would blow the, uh, the horn. Um, there's a word for it, and I'm blanking out right now. 
the shofar. The shofar, which is a big horn, and they would fine-tune it to where it blow like a trumpet. And there would be several blasts of the trumpet to gather everybody in from the harvest field and say, hey, it's time to celebrate. The harvest is done. We've completed that. We did the early one. Now we're doing the later one. And the trumpets would gather God's people. That's the key. Trumpets would gather God's people. So let's look at this here. So this was a sacred assembly. If you read Leviticus 23, this is what Moses is teaching from. Because remember, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. He gave it the first time in, in, in Leviticus and Exodus. And on this day, if the sacred assembly, there would be no work. There would be food offerings. And the main focus was prayer and repentance. Prayer and repentance. Let's gather everybody together. God has been good to us. We need to get on our knees and thank him. This is a sacred assembly. We're going to give food offerings. There's not going to be any work done at this time. Zechariah 9.4 talks about how this is fulfilled in prophecy. It says, then the Lord will appear. Watch the words here. And I have it colored for a reason because the next verse, when it's fulfilled in the New Testament, watch how it matches. Then the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. Okay, notice that key word there. Arrow meaning it's, it's a military takeover. Jesus, is, he came the first time as a suffering servant. Next time he comes as a conquering king. So this time he has an arrow. He's coming forth like a military man. But he'll go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth. Again, military terminology. And then you fast forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul talks about how this is, being, this is going to be fulfilled. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven over them, okay, the Lord will be in the air, okay, with a cry of command, like a military leader, saying attack, and then with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, okay, so this is a beautiful picture of the trumpets, and the feast of trumpets that will be fulfilled, all the other ones have already completed, the next one that's going to happen is when the Lord does the trumpet in the air and we're called up to join him. And then it says, we then, after the dead in Christ shall rise first, we which are alive and remain, who are left, I'm quoting King James there, who will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So when I was in college, I used to work at a cemetery and I'd mow grass all over the cemetery. Okay, And as I'm mowing, I often thought, this would be a cool place to be if the rapture happens. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. All of a sudden, all these graves go, and all these bodies, hello. And I'm like, oh, my love, my, you know, everything. That'd be really cool. And then we which are alive, which would be me, would be caught together. So it's like dead guy rises from 1624. Hey, how you doing? We both go up together. And then the Bible says that we will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, because we will see Jesus. When we see Jesus in his full glory, our dead bodies and our live bodies that are sinful will all be changed at the same time. So it's really amazing. And so um, it says, the dead in Christ, we, we will be caught together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. You don't have to ever worry about being separated from him ever again. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this same thing. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and I actually heard a teacher teaching him this recently, and he said, blink your eyes. And everybody blinked their eyes. He said, that's how fast it will happen. I'm like, no, that's not it. It doesn't say in the blink of an eye. It says in the twinkling. What is twinkling? It's light. How fast can you blink your eye? Pretty quick. But at the speed of light? No. It means at the speed of light, this is going to happen. The twinkling. From the time the twinkle in Tammy's eye reaches my eye, that's what it's talking about, the speed of light. And at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and shall be changed. Anybody else looking forward to that day? I am. Amen. That's going to be great, exciting. And so this is the next thing that's going to happen. Jesus fulfilled all his other feasts. Next feast that he's going to fulfill in prophecy is the trumpet. And then after that, there is the day of atonement, the day of atonement. And I can't read it. What's that say in the small letter? Yom Kippur, thank you. I should have known that. Hey, Yom Kippur. But I used to have a monitor right here. Now it's up there, and I have as big as can be, but I'm still... Anyway, um, Yom Kippur, though, all the other times were party and have a great time. This was serious. It was not meant to be a festive time. Uh, Moses makes that very clear. There's fasting. There's mourning over sin. And this is where the high priest goes in the once a year. Now, there were sacrifices made all throughout the year, but this was the big deal. This wasn't just any old priest. It was the high priest. This wasn't just any old sacrifice. This was the Day of Atonement, a Yom Kippur sacrifice. 
And instead of a lamb, this time it's two goats. And he would take one goat and slit it and do all the thing, the sacrifice and do the blood and all that. But the other goat, him and the other priests would get, put their hands on it and they would pray, not for the goat, although it needed prayer, but they'd pray and ask for forgiveness of sins and symbolically transferring their sins and all the sins of the people onto this goat. And then they'd put that goat on a leash and they'd march it out into the wilderness, into the woods, and they'd let it go and they go, go, run. Now, you tell me, a goat out in the wilderness, what's going to happen to it? It's going to get ripped apart. The bear, the mountain lion, something's going to get it. And Jesus, the Bible says, is our scapegoat. That he went out from the camp. You see, where was he crucified? They took him out of town. He was chased out of town, carrying his own cross, and he was ripped apart for us. His body was brutally beaten and torn apart, and he was our scapegoat. And that's what the scapegoat would do. It would carry the sins away from the people. And that's why this, this, was not the, this was the serious one. And so every time we do the Lord's Supper, it's a serious time. We're rejoicing that, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but at the same time we're grieving over our own sins, but we're thankful that he took it. And so this, is a, th- th- this, this holiday is a picture of Christ's return, that the high priest has come now, and he's come to take care of this. And instead of just rolling the sins away forward for a year, he rolls them forward for eternity. And then, and then what happens here is all the nations come to him and they mourn. He's conquered the earth, and they, all the nations, picture all these countries. Picture Russia, the Ukraine, China, and all that stuff. The peoples come and say, we're sorry, Jesus, we're sorry. We repent. And the Bible says, and when he sets up his kingdom, this will all happen. And he is our great high priest who has come into our place. So Yom Kippur will happen after the Feast of Trumpets. when Jesus. So we have the rapture where we go up. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb, seven years of tribulation. And then Yom Kippur, Jesus comes back, sets up his kingdom. The high priest is here. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24. He says, immediately after the tribulation, of those days of the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken so all this happens when Jesus returns and all these things happen um let's see so let's move on to the feast of tabernacles feast of tabernacles in uh, the feast of tabernacles uh begins 5 days after the day of atonement so you do the yom kippur Five days later, you see how these festivals are in clusters. Five days later, uh, it says at the time of the fall harvest had just been completed. So all this is taking place, and you have this tabernacle. Now, it was a time of joyous celebration. So you've had the mourning, and now you've got the rejoicing. Joyous celebration as the Israelites celebrated God's continued provision for them in the current harvest. So the new harvest was starting. If God provided for us then, he's going to provide for us again. And then we re- and remembered his provision and protection during the 40 years in the wilderness. So this was the fun one. This is when everybody packed up and went on a camping trip. And they basically would take a bunch of equipment to make a, like a lean-to type tent. They'd go out in the wilderness. They'd pack several days of food. And they would just eat and party out in the wilderness and say, hey, our ancestors used to wander around in here, and this is how we lived. We'd pack up all this, and we'd go, and we'd move on, and we'd pack up, and we'd move on. And let's remember what it used to be like when God provided everything. We, we, we had no food out in the wilderness, but God gave us manna from heaven. We wanted meat. God gave us quail. We wanted water. God gave it to us from the rock. God will miraculously provide for us. And that's what you teach your children when you go out, went on, on this, this really cool camping trip. So back in Deuteronomy 16, verse 13, it says, And you shall keep the feast of booths seven days. So this is a week-long camping trip with your family just to remember how God provided for Israelites in the wilderness. And it says, and when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and from your wine press. So God provided for us last year. He'll provide for us this year. God provided for our ancestors in the wilderness. He will take care of us. That's a good way to teach your children. Amen. And then Deuteronomy 16, verse 17 says, every man shall give as he is able. So you've already tithed, but again, here's another free will offering. If you're able to give, do so, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. And then you see Paul parallel this in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 is talking about this very same festival. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside in store as he may prosper. Same language as before. If you didn't make any money this week, God says, hey, fine. I don't expect you to give anything. You made a lot of money this week. 
I expect an offering in proportion. And that's what God expects from everybody. And that's, that's, it's interesting that God doesn't say, here's a membership fee to be in our church, flat membership fee. The poor are going, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. The rich are going, man, that's a piece of cake. God says, every man, as he's prospered you, that's what God expects you to give. He expects to give in proportion to that. You didn't make much? Don't worry about it. You don't have to give much. Revelation 21.3 says, behold, the dwelling place. The word there is tabernacle. It's a noun and it's a verb, okay? Like we say the word camp. We're going to go camp over there. That's a verb. There's our camp. It's a noun. Same thing was used with tabernacle. It says the dwelling place, the noun, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell, and it's a verb now, will tabernacle with them. So these feasts of booths, they're saying, guess what? God's going to come and set up his booth right here on earth. God's going to tabernacle with us and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will tabernacle with them. In the Greek, it's the same word. Here's his tabernacle. He's going to tabernacle with us, and God's going to make his tabernacle set up right next to ours, and he will be our God. Aren't you thankful for a God who wants to be right alongside of us? Most gods of the world are like, they're way up there, and we're way down here, and we just shake and quiver. God says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. He pitched his tent right next to ours. He was one of us. Jesus became a man just like you and I to show the world how to live, but more than that, how to die and how to live a life of sacrifice. So on your piece of paper, you see all those things spelled out. And what you see is the Passover, Jesus is crucified. Unleavened bread, Jesus is buried. First fruits, resurrection. See how in the first three is the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection. Pentecost, the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Feast of Trumpets, Jesus returns. The Day of Atonement, he judges the world, separates the wheat from the tares. The Feast of Tabernacles, he sets up his kingdom here on earth. In the Bible, beautiful. It is just amazing how the scripture, people read the Old Testament, oh, this is all sorts of bunch of crazy stuff and weirdo stuff. But you know what? And you pull up and look at the 30,000-foot view. You're like, man, this is amazing. This is, this is more than amazing. This is beautiful. And so you see the different holidays and the parallels. And what's interesting, this is the 2010 calendar from the Jewish point perspective, but 2021 matches it, okay, because you know how the calendar works. So April 4th next week is Easter Sunday. So here's what's really weird. Now, don't, don't, don't classify me as a crazy man, okay? I know that Jesus says no man knows the day nor the hour. Gary is not going to predict a date, so just let that go right now. But I will tell you this. Every time Jesus fulfilled one of these things, he did it on the very same day, okay? He, he was killed on the Passover. While people were roasting their lambs all day long, Jesus is being beaten all day long. While they are slicing into the lamb, Jesus is being pierced on the cross, when they were supposed to do this, the Passover? At sunset. And when Jesus died at sunset, they're like, hurry down and get him off the cross. And, and so, and then you see the unleavened bread happened. Jesus broke bread at the same time, and he was buried at that same time with the beginning of that week. And then on the resurrection, he rose from the dead on, on that very same holiday. And so why would we not expect that the Feast of Trumpets would happen when, on that same day that the Jews celebrated? Just saying. Now, we don't know what year that may be, okay? But we do know that you have a thousand years from Adam to Noah, then from Noah to Abraham, from to Abraham to the, and so forth. And then you have from Jesus Christ today, two days. And, and Hosea said that the Messiah will go away for, for two days, and then he will come there and live a day in our presence. And a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, okay? You got that 7,000 years of history. We're getting really close to Jesus coming. And it's very likely he'll come on the Feast of Trumpets because that's the pattern he's set. So again, I'm not picking a day, but I'm just saying when that holiday comes around, <laughs> you should be ready all the time, okay? But when that holiday comes around, I especially want you to be ready, okay? Second Peter 3.10 says, right here, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the worlds that are, and the works that are done on it, I'm talking about the earth that passed away, will be exposed. Did you know that everything you and I do will be exposed someday? When Jesus Christ comes to judge the world, he will expose all of our works. That should be convicting for every one of us, including me. 
You know what, though? The good news is Jesus died for all those sinful works. He took all that sin upon him on the cross. In Acts chapter 26, they're quoting Jesus here, and they says that Jesus says, I have come to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place. Jesus not only wants you to receive forgiveness, he wants you to receive a place. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? That where I am, you may be also. That place is with Jesus in heaven when he re- restores his kingdom. And it says, um, among those, a place not only with Jesus, but among those who are sanctified, how? By faith in me. All of your works are going to be exposed someday. But Jesus can say they're all under the blood if you'll put your faith in him. Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and sinners like me. And you can receive him and know for sure that all those sins are forgiven. I'd like for everybody, especially God's people, to bow their heads and close their eyes and just pray right now that God would open hearts. Isn't that what Jesus said right there, that God would open their eyes? So let's pray that God opens eyes this morning. And if you're you're watching online or you're here in person and you've never truly been saved from your sins, you've never been born again, you can do that right here today, right now. You can just reach out in your heart in prayer to the Lord, something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, you're going to expose my sins someday. They, they bother me so much. But Lord, you died for every single one of them and for everybody else. And I believe you did that. And I believe you were buried and that you rose again on the third day because you proved who you were, God in human flesh who conquered death. So Lord Jesus, I trust you. Thank you for giving my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. I give everything to you because you gave everything for me. I trust you to save me in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you prayed that prayer. And if you did, I, I, I want you to contact me and text me and say, hey, I'm a new Christian. What do I do? And we'll talk about what to do and what your next steps are. And we want to come around you and help you grow as a new Christian. Next Sunday is a big day. It's Easter Sunday. We, go to, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, but some people you know, make a big deal once a year, and that's great. We can do that and use that as an opportunity. 10 o'clock next Sunday here, we're going to set up more chairs, but try to keep them spaced out. We have room, more room in the back. We're going to put some along the walls. We may put some right here. You can sit right next to David on the drums if you want. But uh, Easter Sunday, man, great opportunity to reach out because there's a lot of people, that's the only time they come is Christmas and Easter. So let's make the most of it and get them in God's house and, so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, We've sent it out as a Facebook event. I hope you'll click on that and say, yes, I plan on attending or at least interested in either watching online or being here in person. So do that. And you can change your Facebook profile if you have one. You can add a frame to it. There's instructions there on how to do that. Just look up 2021 Easter Revolution Church, and you can change your frame your, your profile. Also, I'd like for... Uh, Families who are watching online that attend Revolution Church, would you be willing to make a 30-second video just saying, hi, we can't be there in person, but we want to let you know we love you. Whatever you want to say in 30 seconds or less. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just set up your phone, make a video, and then send that to me this week. And we'd love to show a whole bunch of videos next week of people who are watching online. Another exciting thing about next Sunday, Lord willing, we're hoping to baptize. We're talking to a couple people about that. And so if everything gets in place we're going to be baptizing. If you would like to be baptized, uh, we can have you. Just text me to sign up. And the reason you would be baptized is not to be saved. Baptism doesn't wash away sins. The blood of Christ does that. Baptism is your public profession after you're saved that Jesus died for me, he was buried, and he rose again. And if you've never been baptized by immersion since you've been saved, then you, you need to do that and make that public of what Jesus did for you. Again, next week we're going to sanitize Master recommended, and we're going to spread out the chairs and do all kinds of things to disinfect to make sure it's a safe environment. Um, and again, many people will be watching online. Hey, I have some exciting news for you. Um, I've been communicating with a guy named Chauncey Doles. He's a student at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. He's a music major, and uh, I did a couple of phone interviews with him. And then I went up to Springfield, Missouri, and I had lunch with him and my family, and we interviewed him in person. Tremendous man of God. And he's very interested in being our worship leader. And so we are looking to have him come down in just a couple weeks. He's going to come down April 14th, which is a Wednesday. That's when his plane lands. He's going to stay through Monday. He's going to have rehearsal with the band. And then Sunday morning, they're going to actually perform. He'll be leading them. 
And so here's why I need, if, if everybody could chip in and do a little bit. If there's a family that's willing to house him, if you've got a spare bedroom and that he can stay, let me know. If you'd like to take him out to lunch or dinner or just buy him a Chick-fil-A gift card, let me know that we'll do that. We want to line up. If you're willing to help him with transportation, because obviously he's flying down, I don't want him to have to rent a car. We're not going to rent a car for him because I feel like we can get it covered between me and a couple others. We'll cover transportation. If you're willing to help with any of those things, let me know. Just text me. But I'm really excited about it. I think you'll be very impressed with this young man. And what we're going to be doing is, if, if that goes well, the next step is we're going to offer him a summer internship. It'll be a paid internship. He'll come and stay for the summer. And then if that goes well, then we're going to talk about hiring him full-time. Okay, so we're excited about this. He's a great man of God. You can check him out on Facebook if you like and just see what a good guy he is. Okay, so hey, thank you for being a giving church. It's making these kind of things possible because I, it's very sad. I see a lot of churches, they say one in five churches in America because of the pandemic are thinking about closing their doors. And you know what you guys have done? Our giving has gone up during COVID-19. And that just, that, all glory to God for that. So that puts us in a position where we can hire a worship leader and, and we, we're putting more money aside now for a building. Good things are happening. So thank you again for being a giving church. But you know the best part of what we do, it's not just us and our building and our ministry. It's supporting missionaries worldwide. And uh, you, many of you know the Casey's, they made a video for us. Here we go. Hey, Revolution Hi guys, Church. Everybody. Hey, we're the Casey's and we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. We are in our new church building that we just purchased in December and you can see it behind us there's an upstairs and a downstairs and we're celebrating we just had our first workshop and tonight we had a movie night we had over 30 people come and multiple people were people who don't even come to our church our church members invited people Hosanna our little daughter invited a friend and her friend came with her mom and sister so God is at work, and we're excited. We have a whole weekend about being an overcomer in Christ, and so we're excited. God's doing some good stuff. We still have work to do on the upstairs, but you can kind of see downstairs looks beautiful, and you guys helped take care of this. Yes. You guys helped pay to provide to help get this church ready, so we're excited and looking forward to getting the rest of the work done That's as right. well. By the time you guys watch this on Sunday, we will actually have completed our three-day workshop by then. We just began today. It's Friday night here in Madrid, Spain. So we've got Friday night movie night that we just did. We just finished. It's late at night. We got to get home before our COVID curfew that we have. And then we've got a breakfast plan tomorrow with all day sessions and breakouts. And we've got our final session is um, commencing on Sunday. And so we're just excited. By the time you guys see this, those seeds will have been planted. So, yes. so pray for that growth. And we have one more thing. And since we know you guys are in Texas, I'm going to say this in Spanish because some of y'all are going to get this. Maybe some of you won't, but I think some of y'all will. I'll translate. I'll translate. <laughs> She's pregnant. So we have baby number four coming. So we would appreciate your prayers for that. We love you guys. You guys are awesome. And we can't wait to see you guys again. Thanks for your prayers and support. See ya. Adios. All right. Hey, so the Casey's are in a, a country where less than 2% of the population go to church and less than 1% even know the gospel. So they are in a dark place in Madrid, Spain, but they're being light. And because you guys are so generous, we're able to help them they're, to buy that building because, you know, we support them with a monthly amount. But we, at Christmas time, because you guys were so generous, we were able to give them, like, I think it was $1,500 to help go, go towards that. So keep giving, keep being a generous church. Uh, we need help with uh, child care, especially for Easter Sunday. So if you're willing to help or join the team once a month or maybe even once every eight weeks, let us know. We'd love to have you help in one of our two uh, children. We have a children's room over there and one right here, and we need more volunteers. Also, life groups, uh, Lord willing, I'm going to send out a text about updates for this week. Some of them will resume. I know the Wednesday night one will continue, and one of the Thursday night ones will be happening. We'll find out if the other one happens, and then we also want to continue with starting new life groups. All right. A lot of announcements, but a lot of good announcements, right? A lot of exciting what God's doing. So we're going to do question and answer time. So if you haven't sent in your question yet, please do so now. All right, here's a question. So uh, it says here, so if kings or Pharaoh become king because they are the firstborn of a king, did Pharaoh himself not die because he was not the firstborn? Wow, that is a, that's an interesting question. And that's one of those ones I'm going to say I don't know. I do not know if, if Ramses was the king. We know that from history. 
The Bible doesn't say his name, but we put history together and realize Ramsey was the one who was alive and king during that, the one refusing. Um, it says the firstborn of every household. So I don't know if he wasn't the firstborn or how that worked. That's a great question. I honestly do not know the answer to that question. All right. And uh, any other questions? Actually, that's the only one I've ever Go ahead. Actually, do this. Come to the mic so the live stream people can hear it as well. And other people can send it in while a man is asking. So um, I'm reading Exodus in Exodus 4.24. Um, God had just spoken to Moses and said, I'm sending you and Aaron to go free my people. Okay, mm-hmm. God had just told him. So he gets his family and he's on his way. And it says at this part, at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Okay. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, touched it to Moses' feet, and she said, surely you're the bridegroom of blood to me. So my question is this. God just told Moses, you go and you're going to go free my people. But on the way, God got so mad, he was like, I'm going to kill you. Like, I don't understand what's going on there. I guess, you know, I guess my question is this. With Moses, he was, I know that he was, like, raised as an Egyptian. So I'm like, well, it's not his fault if he, in ignorance didn't know to be circumcised or wasn't circumcised. But I'm, I'm just sort of like, how did Zipporah know what to do? Like, what in the world? Why would God get angry with him? I'm like, God, you were the one to tell him to go. If you wanted him to do something before that, like, <laughs> why are you trying to kill him now? I, I just don't understand. Wow. I this don't is, understand. This is like Gary playing baseball. I'm going to be 0 for 2 today. I stink at baseball, and now I'm like, I, usually I do okay with the questions, but man, you guys need to find a new church with a new pastor who actually knows the Bible. I, I'm going to have to read that chapter, because that's been a long time since I've read that. And I think I know, but I don't want to give you a half-hearted answer on that. Um, I do know this, that God told, and this is, I'm not dancing around. I don't, the answer is I don't know, but I'm going to comment on it anyway, because it brings up a good point. So God told Moses, you go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses gave five times, I don't know, I can't do it, I can't, I can't do it. And uh, God says, okay, let's let Aaron go with you. That came back to bite him later because who made the golden calf? Aaron did. So if we don't do God's will the first time the right way, it's going to come back to bite us, okay? Um, same thing with Abraham. God's going to give you a son. And they're like, well, we don't have a son yet, so let's do, this, let's do this slave girl thing. And we know what that, to this day, there's not peace in the Middle East because of all the Arab nations that came from that, that kid. So we don't do it God's way. And then <clears throat> also God said, you and Aaron and the elders go before Pharaoh. But they went, just Moses and Aaron, they left the elders behind. And that's why Pharaoh didn't take them seriously. Who are you guys? Go back where you came from. You know, he was told to bring the elders. So imagine if you brought in 70 elders. There's 72 people there, men of God, standing before Pharaoh. They would have probably been taken more seriously the first time. So text that to me. I'm going to study up on it. I'm going to give you a good answer next week, Lord willing, okay? All right. Let's see. There's another question. Good, thank you. Let's see if I can get this one right. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Were there Hondas in the New Testament? Rob, you go ahead and answer that. They were all in one accord. Yes. There we go. Good job. All right. I'm not even going to bring up the coffee joke because it's lame. Okay. All right. That's all we have.